Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. You know, the fall will be here before you know it, and the temperatures will start to drop and get a little bit cooler. So swing on by Leon Tailoring to get you something warm that will not burn a hole in your pocket. Maybe it's a nice little bit of a heavier jacket, or maybe a heavier blouse or skirt, or no matter what it is, maybe a nice sweater. No matter what it is, you can get it Leon Tailoring. Get it ready-made or custom-made or tailor-made. Just go on in, tell them Abdul sent you, and they'll take care of you, and they'll be happy to do it as well. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown Indianapolis. Good morning, everyone, and welcome. Uh, I'm Kevin Brinegar, and it's my privilege to serve as president and CEO of the Indiana Chamber of Commerce and welcome you to this um, uh, update on uh, legislation related to business. <clears throat> I think I'll start in the tax and fiscal policy area. Um, two key bills, um, watching... Um, Senate Bill 2 uh, that would provide tax relief for all of our um, pass-through businesses, the S-Corps, the small, the small businesses that are currently restricted on the amount of state and federal taxes paid that they can deduct from their federal tax. Uh, the $10,000 cap was put in and in 2017, as far as, far as federal legislation, um, states have been uh, implementing a workaround uh, that has been approved by the IRS that um, is contained in Senate Bill 2, authored by Senator Baldwin. And uh, we were, we've worked significantly on that bill over the summer and fall. It has now passed the Senate uh, overwhelmingly and is headed to the House. And we have indications that this bill may be fast-tracked down to the governor's desk because it has a uh, retroactive effective date back to January 1 of this year. Uh, so that would help these businesses and CPAs uh, with their tax preparations and tax planning if we can get that signed into law uh, quickly. The other is we had the first hearing on um, property tax relief, I'll, I'll call it. There's obviously concerns about um, how high the assessments are jumping with inflation and with the housing shortages, particularly in the residential sector. And um, Representative Thompson held a hearing on that after uh, the House session adjourned on Thursday afternoon. And uh, there was considerable testimony. His bill would um, reduce the 1% um, cap down to 0.9% which is interesting because I think we all thought that the, um, and it's sort of been operating under the premise that the one, two, three percent caps were a hard number, but the language in the constitution actually says that the caps can be no greater than um, one, two, and three percent for those different types of properties. And so the General Assembly does have flexibility to lower those caps. And what Representative Thompson is proposing is to lower the cap for the residential sector to 0.9% and then phase it back up to 1% over a period of several years. Um, as I mentioned last week, there are a number of bills floating around um, that look to provide property tax relief in one way or another. And they really boil or fall into two categories. One is um, reductions that would um, provide property tax relief in a way that reduces 
the growth in revenue, not actual current revenues, but the growth in revenue um, to local governments, the other uh, methods would shift burden uh, to other taxpayers, businesses, farms, commercial property. Um, Representative Thompson's bill falls into the former category and proposes to uh, the, the effect of this would be to reduce the, the growth in revenues to local government from something over 10% down to 6%. So it's not that there wouldn't be revenue growth um, as some of the local government officials have testified that, oh, this is a cut in our revenues. It's not a cut in the revenues. It's a, it's a reduction in the growth rate. Um, and if the General Assembly is going to act anything, that would be our preference um, not to shift burden uh, to the business community because the business community is already paying a disproportionate share of property taxes uh, greater than its share of assessed valuation. So uh, we're watching that one very carefully as well. Um, by now, most of you or all of you have um, learned what we learned over the weekend that the um, Fiscal impact note on House Bill 1008, which is the, refer to it as the anti-ESG bill uh, that would limit our state, various state pension funds from um, investing in certain um, types of businesses and activities and would, would cut off bank access. Um, that fiscal note has been updated to reflect estimates by INPERS, uh, the agency that manages the funds, um, that if that legislation was enacted, it could result in a reduction of over 1% in the investment earnings uh, for those billions of dollars of funds that the state is holding for various people with, with uh, state-level pensions. And uh, over 10 years, that could result in a reduction in investment earnings of um, nearly $7 billion. Um, I think that uh, this bill was kind of a statement bill. Uh, if you listen to the testimony in committee, most of the testimony didn't have anything to do with pensions. It had to do with um, different sectors feeling uh, disadvantaged or um, having difficulty getting insurance or being, uh, trucking companies to transport their weapons products and, and other things uh, and had very little to do with uh, state pensions, but, the, but this was more of a symbolic piece of legislation. This new development uh, in our view, and we opposed that bill by the way, um, and did so in committee, um, I think makes it very difficult for uh, the House to move forward on this. Um, Senator Holdman has another bill that, that many have thought was comparable but, but really is different in a significant way. That bill simply says what is already the practice of NPERS is, is that their responsibility and their goal is to invest in a way that achieves the maximum return for the least amount of risk and, and strikes a balance there. And um, indications that we've had from our friends in the Senate is that that's about as far as they're willing to go. And so, um, that we may be headed uh, even more so in that direction after this revelation of this fiscal impact note. Um, 
We have legislation moving uh, to set uh, establish a state energy plan, which is something that the um, chamber has called for for several years and, and uh, was included in the tenants of that energy plan that are laid out in Representative Soliday's bill uh, come straight from a chamber foundation energy study that was released right before the pandemic hit in the fall of, of 2019. And so we're very, very happy about that. Um, we also uh, see improvement and we are supporting Senate Bill 4, which sets up the uh, structure for the public health uh, programs to strengthen local health departments to uh, provide a match, some new money from the state uh, if for local health departments that opt in to uh, the plan and meets, uh, agree to meet certain metrics. Uh, we think that that's very, very important. Um, we also supported, and there was a hearing yesterday on uh, the air permitting uh, situation within IDEM. IDEM has been informed by federal EPA that their program is not in compliance. There's not uh, enough um, funds going into that and activity and EPA is threatening to take that over so, uh, in an, uh, what is unusual situation for us. We are um, supporting increases in the permit fees to bring more revenue into the air section of IDEM so that they can stay in compliance with EPA because we, our businesses would much, much prefer to deal and work with IDEM here at the state level than have to deal with federal EPA if they were to take over that program. Um, so we are supporting that legislation as well. Um, in the area of data privacy, Senate Bill 5, uh, authored by Senator Liz Brown, we have worked with her both last session and over the legislative interim. We have a bill that we think strikes a very fair balance between to collect data and consumers who uh, want control over their data and deserve to have it. Uh, the bill has come out of committee. It's sitting on second reading. Uh, Senator Brown is, is contemplating an amendment, but we also have a threat to that bill from Senator Cook, who's um, filed a bill that would uh, create a private right of action uh, against the businesses. The bill currently does not include that. It has an administrative process um, that would work through the attorney general. It sets up levels of fines, et cetera, for businesses that don't comply with the requests um, to purge or scrub uh, individuals' data. We think we prefer the administrative process, not a new right uh, for businesses to be sued. And uh, the Senate Majority Caucus is in the process of working that out, but our uh, and we're advocating against Senator Cook's amendment. Um, there was a hearing last week and there will be a vote this week on uh, WorkShare, which is the expansion, not expansion, it's, it's an alternative within the unemployment insurance system to allow employers to, um, to have a second choice as opposed to a full layoff uh, they could reduce the hours of a group of employees, keep them employed. The employer would require, be required to maintain 
full benefits so the employee doesn't lose their health insurance, their retirement, their vacation accrual, uh, any other disability, any other employer-provided benefits. And then when the economy picks back up, uh, the employee's hours are increased. Uh, they, after drawing partial unemployment benefits uh, in proportion to the, the hours that they're, they're being reduced. Um, this has been a, a priority of the chamber for some time. Uh, we expect it to come out of committee and be on the floor for vote for the Senate by this time next week. Um, we see significant movement in the uh, workforce and education uh, area. Uh, Senator, excuse me, Representative Earl Harris's bill to make to automatically enroll 21st century scholars um, is moving. We think that's important because uh, last year, less than 40% of the eligible students got enrolled in the program. And this is a program that provides a free post-secondary tuition for four-year baccalaureate associates, certificates, um, et cetera. So we're encouraged by that. That was a, a priority of ours going into this session. Um, we also see legislation that is moving that would um, give employers a tax credit for hosting a work and learn uh, internship type experience, particularly for high school kids, uh, as we try to meet the needs of the graduation pathways by matching up employers and students so that they can meet that requirement to have a work-based learning experience before um, graduating from high school. Um, I'm going to stop there and um, offer to answer any questions. There are other bills with, with respect to uh, TIF and um, uh, hospital prices and um, insurance practices and et cetera that, are, that we're watching and involved in as well. But um, let me stop there. We appreciate you all joining us and be happy to address uh, any questions you have. Hi, Kevin. It's Nikki from the Indiana Capital Chronicle. How are you? Hi, Nikki. Uh, um, you guys were, were on it on that um, <clears throat> pension bill. I was literally about to send you a, uh, a note to bring that to your attention. And, and then, um, was it Leslie? Yep. Um, uh, article popped in my email box. Yep, um, we were. Uh, um, hey, well, speaking of, you mentioned the property tax bill that mm -hmm. Representative Thompson has and yes. that he said that it cuts the growth, not, you know, it cuts the increase of the growth. Yeah. Um, you have that information because that is not what the fiscal impact statement says. And we've tried to get this apparent new information he has mm -hmm. and have not been able to. And so I wanted to know if you've seen it and are you comfortable with that being accurate, given that it is different from the fiscal impact? Uh, I am. We have I'd have to check with David Ober, who's our point person on this, to see if he, he's seen it yet. Um, I have not. I was just going by what, what he said in committee. Um, so we'll uh, we'll dig into that, and, and uh, maybe we can uh, commit to whoever gets our hands on it first that we'll share. How about that? Great. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Nikki. Hey, Kevin. It's Abdul. How are you going this morning, my friends? Hey, Abdul. I'm doing dandy. Uh, question for you on the uh, ESG, ESG bill, mm -hmm. why do you think lawmakers did that, particularly with the fiscal impact of $6.38 billion over the next decade and some change? Because to me, it seems like, okay, if you're going to lose this growth, how are you going to make up the revenue for your pension funds? 
Well, uh, and I think in fairness to them, that the, they were not aware of that potential impact when the bill was filed. The bill was originally filed last year. And, um, you know, we went all the way through the session and, and that information is not calculated and, and brought here to four. So this is, this is new information, but it's very, very important information. Um, and we had provided in committee uh, a, a different take on it, the providing opposition. And that was that in Texas, where um, uh, a very similar, if not identical legislation was enacted, um, it, it, uh, there was a study, uh, I'm trying to remember the, the research firm, it was a very national noteworthy firm that found that local governments had spent some, uh, just in a short six month period, uh, over $500 million more in borrowing costs because the uh, anti-ESG legislation had driven so many banks out from doing any business in Texas that there wasn't as much competition for municipal bonds. And so the, the prices, the borrowing costs of those bonds went up um, significantly and in, in, in total added up to over $500 million. So, I mean, there are some um, unintended consequences from this type of legislation. And, um, you know, it's, it's really kind of a statement legislation um, and they're using because they can't tell businesses whether or not to do business with them they're uh, they're sort of pointing taking it out I guess on our, on our pension funds and uh, you'll notice that even since the bill was produced um, initially it included the local pension funds and those have now been removed um, and so getting back to your question I, I think they they didn't know, and now that they do, I think it's going to be a hard sell to ask um, legislators to, to continue to vote for this on the floor. Okay, I have another one, Nikki, again. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, there's a non-compete bill that's on the Senate calendar <clears throat> today for doctor non-competes, and mm -hmm. that's one example of bills that are moving through to, quote, unquote, try to control healthcare costs. I wonder where you guys stand on that. And, you know, are, are you concerned at all about sort of getting into the free market? Uh, we are. And, um, excuse me, we, we testified against uh, that legislation in uh, that bill in, in committee. And for the basis, on the basis that we have a fundamental um, philosophical position, longstanding, that um, we oppose government interfering in employers' rights to enter into contracts. And while this is just a narrow slice of that, it falls within that overall philosophy in our view. And so um, we, um, we did indeed testify against that bill and, um, you know, begs the question, okay, well, if we're going to do it here for doctors, then you know, what occupations or what other types of contracts might come next that the state might want to interfere in. And I would mention that in terms of us being consistent with our philosophy, um, the Federal Trade Commission uh, just the first of the year has a proposed rule, not a, not a bill, but a rule uh, to ban all non-competes across the board nationally. Um, 
we and our, our colleagues at the U.S. Chamber believe that that's exceeding their statutory authority. So we're writing, providing comments in opposition to that rule. And uh, I know the U.S. Chamber, if it, they move forward with it, will be challenging legally uh, to say that's beyond your um, federal staff authority. Okay, thanks. Are there any uh, further questions? Okay, we'll go ahead and, uh, and wrap up. Thanks so much, everyone, for joining us. We appreciate it. We'll send you a note, likely next week. Uh, I think it's uh, early in the week, next week, and uh, we'll hopefully see you again. Uh, thank you very much. Yes, thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.